0: please and turn to the uh, book of Romans, Romans chapter 12, Romans 12 verses 1 through 8. The Bible says, therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individual members one of another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophesy, according to the portion of his faith. If service, in his serving or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Verses 1-8 through are dealing with what many would call the spiritual gifts. We just gave you another passage, Mr. Zarin did, of another passage full of spiritual gifts. Those gifts, by the way, I believe were very clearly to authenticate the mission, to authenticate the words and the men that God had uh, given to them to proclaim the Word of God. Why? Because there was no Bible at that time, per se. Uh, there's, nothing was written except for the Old Testament. And all things had changed, had they not? <laughs> Uh, Jesus Christ had died. He had fulfilled the law, and now he was uh, ra- he was raised again, and, and and is sitting at the right hand of God. And there are people out there proclaiming the gospel. Well, people need to realize that what gospel is real and true, and what gospel is not. By the way, if you are going to tell me that the gospel Jesus preached is not for you, then you and I have some. Discussions to take. There is one gospel. And one gospel only. And that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That he was a man. Born of a virgin. He dwelt among men. He taught men. He proclaimed the gospel. He lived a perfect life. He was without sin. He was wrongly accused. He was brutally killed. He was, victor- or he was, shall I say, just like humanity, beleaguered and thrown into a stone tomb only to be raised in newness of life. And sitting at the right hand and ascended and sitting at the right hand of God. That is the gospel. The gospel demands a cross. The gospel demands a debt paid for our sins. Anything less is a false narrative. So important. Sometimes we forget the basics. This, not only did He give us the gift of salvation, the gift of faith, the gift of repentance, but He also gave us spiritual gifts for a reason. Those spiritual gifts were given for God's glorification ultimately. Amen and amen. But it was also given for our encouragement to each other in this earth. Why do we come together? Well, we come together to do our jobs. To sit and listen to and singing and uh, hear the preaching. Okay, that's maybe part, and it was derogatorily part. But I will tell you this: we come together to serve one another. The term is abad. That same term was used in the Garden of Eden. We come together in this church to serve each other. God created man according to Genesis chapter 2.15. The Bible says He took man and placed him in the garden to... Alright, so there's a controversy because we've been talking about this Wednesday nights. The text says to cultivate and keep. The Hebrew terms are to abide. That's where I'm getting at. The word is abod, cultivate is abod. That word abod means to serve. To work. It's the same word that in Deuteronomy it's used as priests in the temple. They abodded in the temple. They worked in the temple. They served God in the temple. Folks, we serve each other in this and not in this church. I don't want you to get the wrong idea. But we serve each other when we come together. Amen. It's kind of hard to do when we aren't with each other. It is the anti Christ idea of coming together to serve each other. It is. I'm not getting politically involved in that whatsoever, but the point is we weren't together. We've had two years of being apart not being able to serve as God intended us to serve. One another. By the way, when we serve one another, we are actually serving God Almighty. Because that's what He tells us to do. By the way, there is a way you can read uh, Genesis chapter 2 verse 15 where it says that God put man in the garden to obey and worship God. Frankly, that's exactly why he put us here on this earth. To obey him and to worship him. One of the ways we obey him and the reason and the motivation we obey him is because we love him. Do you love a strong-armed boss? Does your work reflect it? When you truly love something or someone, does the action to that person or thing all of a sudden become very important to you? Remember your first child. How many remember first children? Man, do not touch them! Do not look at them cross-eyed! Right? (laughs) They are held close by the fourth. Yeah, take them. Get them out of here. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Why? Well, we learn and things, but the reason they're so important to us is we absolutely love them. I tell you what, this week in my life has been extremely busy. We've had a graduation. We've had a graduation party. We've had Ceremonies, we've had orchestra things. We had all my family was back here for the first time in two years. It was awesome, but it was tiring. But I was willing to do those things, willing to sacrifice, willing to do what? Why? Because I love them. Our motivations matter. The motivations to use the gifts that God has given us are mentioned in the text. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, on what grounds? The mercies of God. How in the world can you look at God and start knowing God and are knowing God better and better and more and more as you study and learn more about Him and enjoy Him? How can you not love Him? Amen. And that love motivates us to serve everybody else. Hey, do you want to know what I know about God today? Do you know what God showed me today? Through His Word. Not in the clouds. Not in that voice, through the text. Amen? When speaking on gifts, you need to make this clear. This church is a. Uh, we believe that sign gifts have seceded because the Word of God is here. And that the Word of God is closed. And anyone who adds to or subtracts from all the. Remember the text? All the wickedness of this, of uh, all the bad stuff will happen to you that are written in this book. Regardless, so we prophesy out of love. We serve out of love. We teach out of love. We exhort out of love. We give out of love. We lead out of love. We give mercy out of love. All these things are motivated in love. And if they're not, we're legalistic, pharisaical dorks. We are. And, and, and the gifts are just some job we're punching in the clock we're not punching the clock we're embracing and loving each other we're doing that because we love the Lord we're doing that according to what Paul's figure is it's like there are feet in this room there are toes in this room there are ears in this room there are noses in this room everybody has a part of the body of Christ and those parts are equal to the gifts that Paul mentions here. There are multiple passages. There are even more than I have on here uh, of spiritual gifts. And we showed you the picture of this, of how... My daughter said this, so I better do this. Dad, I think if if it was ready, it would have been better. So we're going to be ready today. Can you turn this up for up here? Is it up? The music. Got it? All right. So just to remind you, because I think it's something that will thicken your head better, that's all I'm doing, is God has created, your giftedness is like your fingerprint. It's unique to you. Matter of fact, John MacArthur believes, not that he's God, but I think he's right on this. John MacArthur believes that Your giftedness is unique to you and you alone and nobody in the world has that. No no other Christian has that. It's unique to you. I I tend to believe him. I I think he's absolutely right. But you're you're a mix of colors and only that color is you. And if you think of it that way and then you start taking your color out of pictures, what does it look like? And it's pretty ugly. we uh-huh. Christians stop using the gifts that God give them. because, By the way, the only reason you would stop using them is there's a lack of love somewhere. That's the reality. Either your lack of love for the Lord or for others or both, I don't know. But many churches, including Northland, have colors missing in their canvas because they're not all the members are not using their giftedness to serve Him. Spiritual gifts are a ministry to the Lord and His church. It's not about a title. It's not about prestige it's about a posi- or position. It's about service. The term is abod. It's about abod. First of all, there's the gift of prophecy. We talked about that last week. I, I'll be honest with you. It's hard talking about a gift That uh, that very few have a large dose of that specific gift. Does that make sense? In other words, there you don't have a church. Let's just say there's 70 people here today. 60 people. There's not 60 people that are heavily endowed with the gift of prophecy. How many understand that? There's not 70 preachers in this church in this uh, in this auditorium. There's very few that are heavily gifted in that area. So it it gets a little difficult to preach that, but his point here that we talked about last week is that prophecy should be exercised, and we didn't talk about this much, but in proportions to one's faith. Remember the text? It's proportional. Why? The word here is synonymous with measure. It needs to be measured with what? With the faith that he's been given by God, perhaps it's The idea is, you're not going to go and, and, and find something that's just going to wow people and make people think you're the greatest preacher that ever lived. Let me tell you, that is an attitude permeating pastors. They want to be known. They want to have a big church. I will tell you, I, I'm going to... so. I have some friends here from Montana. Um, Caleb, you know. Man, he's been here like forever, it seems like. (laughs) But Rob, his friend, they both go to this little church in a town of 100 people? Maybe. Okay. 100 people. That pastor is one of the most gifted pastors I've heard preach. He takes the text, opens the text, and just expositives it. Phenomenal. That, By the way, it's Caleb's dad. The point I'm saying is this. He's been there, how many years has he been there? All of his life. Not as the pastor, but as all of his life. It's not about fame. It's not about all that. It's about just feeding the families that God is... It's about serving and using the gift to encourage each other, right? That's what it's about. When you walk into church and there's four total families, how hard is that for somebody that wants prestige to preach? It's a very difficult thing. It's a very issue. But that this measure of faith is about don't prophesy beyond the faith that was given by God. Don't try to impress people by your charismatic ability to prophesy in accordance with faith has that has been given them means just to simply proclaim the text of the word i think too many people are preaching story time with uncle bill that's not helping anybody and everybody now hates bill sorry bill do you know what i mean Would you just preach the word? Well, there's preachers like that in western Montana and probably all over the world. Simple, small. Nobody knows their name. God does. And they love the Lord and they love the people. And there isn't any place they'd rather be. But there's no fame in it. I can tell you this. Pastor Forbes is not going to be in a stadium in Texas with a smiley face and curly hair. He's simply going to be faithful to the gift that God has given to us to encourage the people he also gave to us to serve. It's that simple. We're going to keep going a little faster now this morning, now that we've introduced them, we're only 45 minutes left. So, since the completion of Scripture, this is very important, Has no since the completion of Scripture, prophecy has no longer been the means of new revelation. That is such an important issue, folks. Prophecy, I just read a commentary list last week, I... I, he's one of my favorite authors, and I just totally disagree with him. He came out and said, this prophecy he was talking about is talking about foretelling all the time. That's all it's talking about is foretelling. He's wrong. Did the foretelling, help, did the foretelling happen in the New Testament? Yes. All the time. No. Did it happen though? Yes. Why? The, the Bible had not been completed yet. And frankly, you're going to have that, especially look at John. What would we do without revelation? God's giving him words to, and the word, by the way, it's not the men that are inspired, it's the words that are inspired, amen? Can you imagine an inspired Peter? But the words were, they're perfect words of God, but when that word was completed, there's nothing new. And if there is, it better become part of the canon. It had better become part of the Bible. Because it's it's new revelation. That's what he's telling us here. But he, he has proclaimed what Scripture has already been revealed. And, and we are to proclaim that. The next gift is serving. We'll go quicker now. It also refers to ministering. This is interesting. As we go through all these gifts, and hopefully today we'll go through quite a few of them, think about this. Well, you might say, I don't have the gift of prophecy. Well, you probably do. Have you ever proclaimed God's Word in any way? You probably have. How about serving? Can you imagine a Christian that hasn't served? (laughs) Exactly. Practically, you say, well, yeah, but that's exactly right. Serving everybody. Listen, what is the point of giftedness? It's not for show or dough, let me tell you. The purpose of giftedness is service. So every Christian has the gift of service. Every Christian has the gift of encouragement. Every Christian, in a sense, has a sense of, of, of prophecy in that they proclaim God's word. So, in senses, these are all universal and they're just, they're kind of vague, to be honest with you. And all of us possess, possess them. It refers to as ministering. The, word, the Greek word is diakonam, which we get the word deacon from, right? That's the translation of deacon. It means the service of any kind. It's a broad application of practical help to those in need. Acts chapter 2, 20, and there's multiple passages, by the way. Um, One of them is Acts 3. Acts 3 was the first deacons, right? Acts 6, 3, sorry. Uh, The first deacons in the early church were men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, and who were placed in charge of what? They were placed in charge to provide food for the widows. Because they were being neglected. Because the apostles were to be able to do what? Okay, so here we have this new group of men. By the way, we just don't keep adding things to Scripture and say, oh, we have a new thing here. Now We have new officers for the church. We'll call them here's one and this will probably get me in trouble this is the worship team it is an office of the church you can't find that in the text it's not there deacons is pastors are elders are those are the two offices amen okay anyways <clears throat> those first deacons think about this okay what did they do they were to they served the widows is that true They served the widows. Is that all? Okay, I served the widows. I'm all done. Is that all they did? In serving the widows, who else did they serve? They served the leadership. Exactly. Why? And here's the thing that I wish most churches would know, and I praise the Lord for our elders that from day one, this has been their motto. Day one, no questions. Pastor, your job is to preach. Amen? Your job is to preach. Christian's job is to serve everybody. The pastor's job is to serve. How? In their giftedness. Listen, is a pastor supposed to have the giftedness of prophecy if prophecy means proclaiming the Word of God? Yes or no? Absolutely. It's a requirement. It is his number one responsibility. Here's what happens in many churches. Janitor, preacher, caller, inviter, bookkeeper, um, organizer. How many understand what I'm talking about? This whole list, and there's one guy doing it all. That is a loser church. Not because it's a wicked, horrible thing, but it's going to fail. Fail. Why? God has not gifted him in every aspect of that ministry. And the gifted part that he's supposed to be doing is being taken by all these other things that the church isn't doing. It will fail. How many get that? It's that, that, a huge thing. I always believed that, but for 10 years of my ministry, I was not taught that practically. When we had elders, began to have elders here, that was their number one thing. You need to preach the word. That's what you focus on. I praise the Lord for that. Service. These people, in Acts chapter 20, he's talking to who? In Acts chapter 20, he says, In everything I showed you that by working hard in this matter, you must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he gave. That he himself said, it is more blessed to what? To give than to receive. What does that mean? How many of you have heard of the gift of served? And I am not picking on anybody, but the gift of retired from every work. Does the Bible mention that anywhere? Not at all. We are to serve others. I don't care if you're 105. Some of you are really close. Or you're a brand new Christian. doesn't matter. You're here to serve the Lord. And you're here to serve each other. It is more blessed to give than to receive. I I tell you what, Christmas time's we stopped giving gifts. <gasps> How'd you do that? We just stopped. It, 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 not that it's a sin. I thoroughly enjoy it. I love giving gifts. I really don't like receiving gifts. It's awkward. How many understand that? They say, well, that's just pride. Well, it might be. I don't know. But I can tell you this. I get so much more joy than be able to see people grow in the Lord. My greatest joy happens I would say every other Sunday. Thank you, Pastor. I learned this. This is so cool. I never thought of that before. That just brings joy to my heart. Because that's what God designed me to do. It's better to give. It's it's, it's more joyous. It's more blessed to give than to receive. This idea of serving has this practical, sometimes lowly or what we call lowly and ordinary needs of people. Northland has been given servants with servants' hearts who don't seek the limelight, but they have the gift of service with joyfully and fruitfully serve. They're the type that come up and say, Pastor, where can I serve? Or to another elder, where can I serve? Where Where is the options? Where can I minister? service is simple and straightforward service also can be understood as the gift of helps we find that in 1 Corinthians it can be called helping the weak right here helping the weak that's the word we're looking at there but in all these things whether we're serving however we're serving each other discipline is important how is it important well as soon as you hear that i'm sure you're thinking I have to do my gift, I have to do my gift, I have to do my gift, I have to do my gift. What does that remind you of? The little engine might, but you can't. It takes discipline, and here's where the discipline is. A true Christian that truly loves the Lord, telling you, a true Christian that truly loves the Lord wants to and loves serving people. The problem is they might want to do so many things, they can't do what the one thing they're gifted to do. How many understand that? You've got to be disciplined to make that your your primary responsibility and not let all these other distractions get in the way. (coughs) When Christians pick up the slack of other Christians, there is failure happening And the sight of Christ is being lost. Especially with so many distractions from this world and an attitude of self that the whole world is submerged in, discipline is even more important. To be sure, what is in vogue today is to publicly look like you are serving others but for a motivation other than loving others. It's a motivation of prestige. A motivation is, look at me. Motivation of, well, let's just say what it is. We want prestige, people want respect, prestige, honor. And that is to be the result of helping people. So if I help this person, I'll look good. There's a word for it today. This word is called virtue signaling. How many have ever heard of virtue signaling? Virtue signaling is the idea that you outwardly do good work so people think you're a kind, nice person. You just you want to show everybody you're you're a good person. Let's be honest, nobody is good. Nobody is apart from Christ. Virtue signaling, they, they say, look at me and, and what I am doing. I think that scripture says something about that when it states, don't let your right hand see what your left hand's doing. That is the antithesis of virtue signaling. Instead of showing off your godliness, which really is anti-godliness, because it's selfishness, you're to, the Bible says, and this is in Matthew chapter 6, verse 3, but when you give to the poor, so literally this is the service attitude here, right? When you give to the poor, so contextually this is absolutely correct, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Now, is that even possible? It's not possible, but the point is, you get the point, right? It's not about you. It's never about us. It's about Him. And by the way, it's about serving. This also takes, this service idea takes perseverance When all that encompasses our life in serving others, it is very possible that the service itself becomes idolic. Does that make sense? Can it be that the God of service has replaced the real, omnipotent, sovereign God? How many understand what I'm saying? It's very important. We have to take care of that. Make sure of that. Pers- perseverance. And the reason it becomes an idol is because the problem isn't the service. Nor is the problem the one being served. But the server himself has lost sight of who God is. And as a result, the motivation of God's glory is lost. Without the mercies of God as wind in our sails, The gift becomes a futile act, self-motivation, and as a result, complete drudgery. When a pastor comes to church because he has to, and he has to preach, so he has to find a sermon, all those words tell me that guy needs a new job. Amen? It's a joy. I've told you many, many times, I would hate myself if I couldn't preach. I love to preach. Because it's, it's fire that the Word gave me in my bones, if you will. How many understand that? Another pitfall is that one might be tempted to spend the majority of one's time trying to emulate those who have other gifts instead of using the gift one has for the benefiting of the believing community. This is a big problem. I have seen mega churches. Mega churches, many times, are careful in how and what is preached. Does that make sense? Because some things just don't sell. I will tell you this, we are all worms and deserve hell, and without God we are nothing. They would have lost a thousand of their 2000 members. I can't even mimic that. <laughs> this big teeth didn't and... ha Don't say the S word in this place. Once believers have identified their gift, they should strive to excel in those gifts that they have been given and devote themselves to the the body by exercising those gifts. Teachers are not exempted from serving others, from rendering financial assistance, from showing mercy, and so on. Nonetheless, teachers should especially concentrate on studying. That's the next gift. Teaching. Service. We all have service. We all have prophecy in a sense, in some measure. Teaching. The gift involves the analysis and proclamation of the Word of God, explaining the meaning, the context, the application to the hearer's life. The gifted teacher is one who has the unique ability to clearly instruct and communicate knowledge, specifically the doctrine of faith. Jesus Christ, I just did that this morning. Jesus Christ died on the cross, put in the grave, rose again, ascended into heaven, sits at the right hand of God. That is a teaching through the tradition of the text. Amen? That's exactly what this is talking about. Not that your teaching always is salvatory. I find it interesting, One, as I was reading these many different authors on what this teaching idea meant, it was interesting. So, a teaching... You could be teaching about Christ in the texts that talk about Christ. You say, well, yeah, that's really kind of dumb. What are you talking about? Here's the newfangled thing it's called <clears throat> um, <sighs> Christ's. I'll give you what it is. I can't remember the exact term. I'm going to get it wrong. But you can find Christ in every passage of Scripture. Now let me ask you. Can you find Christ in every passage of Scripture? So what do you do? David and Goliath. Well, I've got to find Christ in there. How am I going to find Christ? It was a historical event by, with David and Goliath. Amen? Are there principles that we can apply? Absolutely. But in the end, it's David and Goliath. It is not Jesus and Satan. But if you're going to go through the whole text and find Christ everywhere, by the way, that's not teaching. It's not. That is saying what the text doesn't say. It's extra-biblical at best. Now, Should our ministries be Christ-centered ministry? Absolutely. I'm not saying that. Absolutely, it must be Christ-centered. But Christ is not found in every text of Scripture. Teaching. The gift of teaching is to be able to go through the grammar. How many of you love grammar? Okay, so two of you might have the gift of teaching. Actually, One that is heavily gifted in teaching, grammar is super important. The Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic are super important and know how to use the tools to get you to find out what the text is trying to say and then explain it to people. And they're like, oh, yeah, that's awesome. We need teachers. And by the way, we need teachers. I heard one person agree we need teachers. Well, I'm not a teacher. I don't like to speak in public. Okay, you've got two students. You can't tell them about Jesus? You can't tell them about David and Goliath? Did you tell your sons and daughters about that? You see, all of us, in a sense, have some, some aspect of teaching. Amen? We do. Dads, you've been teaching your family and leading your family. There's leadership. Moms, you've been teaching your children. So there are aspects of that gift within you. It might not be the forefront. I understand that. And I respect that, and I wouldn't want you there if you don't love doing that. But don't be scared of it like a man named Moses. Remember I Remember Moses and Aaron? Do you remember that story? We compared them to Josh and Jake. Just anyways, the issue is this. Moses, here's what he did. The Lord told him to do something, correct? What did the Lord tell him to do? Go speak to Pharaoh. What did he say? I can't. And was God pleased or angry? He was angry. Why? You don't have faith in me. If I tell you to do something, you can do it because I'm doing it through you. Where is your faith? The measure of faith. Do you see how this works? Where is it? He said, but I have given you Aaron... But I'm not too pleased that you didn't have faith that I didn't make this all work in my sovereign plan. And you can read the text. You can go back last week when we talked about that specifically. All right. So where do we find the teaching gifts? Well, we find them all the way through Scripture, by the way. Teaching them to observe all things, Allah will command you. By the way, we are to teach people about Christ. Everybody can do that. Everybody can. If you're not telling people about Jesus Christ because you have stinking pride in your life and you're worried of what they're going to say about you or you're worried that you won't say it right, well, you don't say it right if you don't say it. That is for certain. Tell people about Jesus. Teach them about the Lord. The Bible says it in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. Remember that? Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I command you. And lo! And lo! What does he say? I am with you most of the time. I'm with you always. I will not let you down. I am with you. By the way, I love this professor, but I think he was dead wrong. He said that has nothing to do with today. That was about teaching people the kingdom. Oh my word. We are to be going out in the highways and byways and telling people about Jesus. And the Word of God. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verses 11. And I'm getting run right out of time again if I don't hurry up. All right. 1 Timothy 1 11, preaching and teaching is the idea there. In 2 Timothy 2 2, be able to teach others also. Basically says, listen, I have entrusted this to faithful men who will be able to teach others also, right? So I taught you so you can taught teach others. Here's the problem in our evangelicalism today people. Although I would make an exception for churches like Pastor Forbes and any other pastors that are preaching expositorily through the text. Amen! They're teaching faithful men who will then teach others. Diedrich Bonhoeffer was very clear on this issue. How many hate Nazism. How many hate what they did to the Jews? How many can believe that Christians could actually do that to other people? Bonhoeffer was asked that question. Why why could Christian people, and I will add this, professing Christian people, slaughter millions of Jews and be okay with that? He said, (laughs) I'm going to get it wrong, but I'll give you the gist. It was because of easy believism. And he uses the term easy believism. What he's saying is, in essence, say a prayer, you're off on your own, you got the ticket, you're good to go. That's not Christianity. Christianity. Where's discipleship? Where's sanctification? It probably isn't even justification. It's certainly not sanctification and growth and drink, giving them milk, and then growing and eating steak. Acts chapter 15 is another teaching and preaching. Barnabas, by the way, Barnabas is excellent. If you want to study a person that used his gift for the foremost for the Lord, Barnabas is outstanding. Outstanding. Just he's this blob on the side, and that's exactly where he wants to be. But he is a servant of servants. That man served Paul just intensely. Just praise God for men like that. So many times we get this idea that, well, those guys that know the Bible, they can just handle it on their own. They're good to go. They don't need serving. How many understand that? I, I, parents do that with their children. I've heard parents say this about their children, literally. We helped. Uh, let me give you, uh, I won't be specific, but I will give you this example and you go, wow. Well, that's exactly what we're doing here. What many people have, what happens to many people? This child lied to their parents, embezzled from their parents, and they give them $100,000. Divorced, alcohol, name it. This one, divorced, lies $100,000 to help them because they're in a tough spot. But then the one that knows the Lord, loves the Lord, is evident in their life, you know, they're, they, they're doing okay, so they can handle it. How many like that attitude? Or how many can understand what I'm talking about? Don't do that with people in this church. I don't care if you think they're some guru in uh, expertise exegeting or teaching or whatever they everybody needs service amen no one is exempt from that just like this idea that you know oh man usually this happens in the minds of the people in the pews to their pastor they're like wow that's just What a godly man. No, this is a sinner. And probably, like Paul said, the chief of sinners. And I do dumb things and say dumb things and go wrong directions. (sighs) Don't do that either, right? You're seeing both things here. Serve people, but serve them. I hate giving you more and more examples, but I hope this practically impregnates in your mind. One of my mentors, I love him. I think he's like, wow. When I listened, it was like, bring it on, you know, ah, (laughs) drinking from a water fountain, right? Just or from a a fire hydrant. Just bring it on. And yet, I remember sitting at a a restaurant and challenging him, and him looking me and saying, I never thought of that. Thank you that's awesome let's let's study that together amen no one's too high and mighty to serve or be served by amen teaching okay i spent too much time on teaching <clears throat> now the next gift by the way if you're teaching what are you doing Serving. Good. How about encouraging? Are you encouraging if you're teaching? Absolutely. Now, let me ask you, what Christian in the world doesn't have or isn't supposed to encourage each other? (laughs) The wrong kind. There isn't any. This is another gift that should be present in every single Christian. And it is called exhortation this gets is evident to those who consistently call upon others to heed and follow God's truth which many involve correction or building others up by strengthening weak faith or comforting in trials the one who exercises the gifts gives uh, sacrificially of himself the Bible talks about exhortation or, or encouragement by strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying, though my tribula- through my tribulations we must enter in the kingdom of God. And by the way, God listen, God doesn't God doesn't promise a violin pool in the back of your mansion. It's not there. He does promise whips on the back. He does promise a life of tribulation. A life of difficulty. But that difficulty is what? What is God doing? Putting you through the fire, refining you. How, if you take a piece of gold out of the ground and make that your ring, how refined is that? How brilliant is that? You take a diamond out of the soil or out of the river in Uganda or wherever, how beautiful is that? But when it's cut and refined and heated, all of a sudden, these colors just explode out of it, right? Folks, that's what He's doing with each... You are a diamond to Him. You're more precious than animals, amen. He knows and cares about you deeply. Encouraging through tribulations because we're going to be in them. Giving. Gifted givers are those who joyfully share what they have with others, whether it is financial or material, on the giving of personal time and attention. The giver is concerned for the needs of others and seeks opportunities to share goods money, time with them as needs arise. I know my wife right now, she's a wonderful giver of eggs. That's not what we're talking about here though. Although it could be. The reason I bring that up is because it's not, if you're giving out of abundance, it's different than giving out of sacrifice. How many understand that? yeah what's a few eggs we have 150 of them is that really service well it can be but it's all about heart motivation isn't it what about the woman the old woman with the what with the might I think the best example of this is actually in the book of 1st Corinthians and if you were here Wednesday evenings you would have went through this it is phenomenal this is a passage, but in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, by the way, Corinth is the, uh, is the old New York. How many understand this? It's They come in and go out, and, and I mean, money is flowing rapidly because it's a port city for the whole world. It, they are wealthy as wealthy can be. Paul went there, and here's what he did. He said, "I chose to be by vocational because I didn't want to hurt your pocketbook." What was he saying? Literally, what, is that a, a a encouraging thing that what he's trying to say, or is that a backhanded remark? He then goes on and says this, Macedonia, totally different. Macedonia is up by the Black Sea on land, and it's just totally different than Corinth. So by the way, the Corinthian or the, the, the uh, Macedonians gave everything. And in essence, he's saying, I'm getting taking an offering for the for the people in Jerusalem that are don't have houses and to live in and food to eat. And you have given me nothing but the Macedonians who have nothing that you despise because you're so arrogant of your wealth, they've given everything. Man, I'd be shrinking in my seat and maybe running out the door, I'd be so embarrassed. How many understand that? This idea of giving is sacrificial giving. Sacrificially give. Is this just talking about money? No. It's talking about giving anything your time, your efforts. It can be your money, your goods, your wealth, whatever it is. The gift of giving is to be given is to be given sacrificially. The idea here is single-mindedness, open-heartedness, generosity. It, it carries the idea of sincere, heartfelt giving that is untainted by affectionate affections or our ulterior motives, which too many times, it is. Um, I will say this. Let's go political just for a second. George Soros doesn't give money to a political party out of his good heart. Neither do any contributors to any political organization. They expect something out of it. That is the antithesis of Christian giving. Amen? It's the antithesis. Ephesians 4.28, He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good so that he will have something to share with one who has need. One of the greatest gifts you can give somebody is to teach them how to work. Teach them how to work. This country needs to teach people how to work. The money will not last Forever. There is something, and we're going to be preaching on this coming up eventually. My dissertation is on the theology of work of bivocational ministry. There is such a thing as theology of work. What is that? Why do you work? Do you, really re- do you realize that your work is a service to everybody else? How many enjoy bagels? Or huh, donuts? With coconut, maple ice cream, chocolate chips, with whipped cream and a cherry on top. Oh, oh, uh, there's a better one. And fill it with Bavarian cream. All right, there's heaven. (laughs) Kidding. We all like that, right? How did that get to your hand? Just for a second, think about that. How did you get that? Did you make the Bavarian cream? Do you even know what Bavarian cream is? <laughs> Someone had to make that. Someone had to make the donut. Someone had to plow the field for the flour. Someone had to render the grease. Someone had to feed the animal for the grease. I mean, you talk about all of a sudden this Bavarian cream piece of heaven, as we inappropriately call it. <clears throat> has this huge amount of serving people. Do we get that? Every one of them was serving you, and they have no idea. That's exactly what it should be in the church. Serving each other that way. Leadership. The gifted leader is one who rules. We're almost out of time, so I'm going to run through these. The grifted leader is the one who rules, presides over, has management of other people in the church. The word literally means to guide. It is not to rule over with a heavy hand. Amen. It's to guide. It's to lead as people follow, not drive. Does that make sense? The idea of one that steers a ship. With one of the gift of leadership, rules with wisdom and grace and exhibits the fruit of the Spirit in his life as he leads by example. He who's <clears throat> well, I just I have the wrong one. Here's the idea. It says to lead with what? What does it say? What's the text? Some say diligently, some say zeal. Here's the deal no godly leader coasts. Amen. Man, you're in it. You're there. You're I can use that example of Dr. Burgraff. You go to Shepherd's Theological Seminary, and, and, and at Shepherd's, you don't get to see everybody. Peter's there, and we know his work ethic. So we're not talking about Peter per se. Okay? But I know there's a lot of people there. And Dr. Burgraff is like, how many have ever seen the Energizer Bunny? I mean, he is going there, he, he comes to God, oh, I need to print that, I'll be right back. He comes back, man, I could give you hundred more pages, let me know and I'll get you that, and I'll get you this, and I'll get, he can't do it all. Here's the problem. Could the problem be that that's just the way he does things? Maybe, and probably part of it, for sure. But do you know what another problem is? How many people have come up to him and said, hey, can I serve you in that aspect and take that load off of you? Amen? This is something I can do. Let me do it. Serve each other. But serve with passion. Serve with zeal is the idea. Man, man this is your life. Serve with every aspect you have. listen, When I get in a pulpit, I get so excited about the text, I give it everything I have. And when I get home, I die. Does that mean I'm doing it in the flesh? No, I'm not doing it in the flesh. But the Lord has given me this uniqueness inside that I am just excited to tell you what I've learned this week. And I don't want you to miss it. And I want what has happened and impacted my life to impact your life. So leaders need to be zealous, diligent, hard workers. Go, go, go! Next one, the last one, is called the mercy is mercy. The gift of mercy is obviously in those who are compassionate towards others, who are in distress, showing sympathy, sensitivity coupled with a desire and resources to lessen their suffering in a kind and cheerful manner. Listen, do you know a Christian, a truly born-again Christian that doesn't have some sense of mercy? Now, some people are very low on mercy because they're low on running on emotions. How many understand that? And it is. It's, there's emotions involved in here. And when you look at somebody, some of you can see, yeah, there, he's at, he, there's something wrong. I need some help. Hey, how many have ever heard of a woman's intuition? My wife is the only one. Bunch of liars. <laughs> some of you even probably promote it, right? <laughs> Here's the deal. Some of that, I'm not saying the whole, some of that is this gift of mercy. They can tell when something's wrong. They can sense that. They can feel that, quote unquote. So what do they do? Oh, there's something wrong with him. Oh, well. (laughs) No. There's something wrong with him. I need to go find out what's going on. I need to help them. I need to weep with them if they're weeping. I need to rejoice with them if they're rejoicing. I need to know what's going on so I can help them. Not to blabber to the community. But to help them. To serve them. This is so interesting to me because, and I'm going to close with this, all right? CE hour is an hour before our services that we meet and we go through some deep theological issues. One of those issues right now is on soteriology or the doctrine of salvation. Very important. One of the main problems with the doctrine of soteriology. that many people have is, uh, they say this, you cannot judge fruit. We're not fruit inspectors. How many have heard that? Okay. How in the world can you use the gift of mercy without judging if that person is sad or, or happy? There is no way. If a person that claims to be a Christian is visiting the bar every week, going around carousing and all that stuff, you need to talk to them about their salvation. Are they saved? I don't know. But their fruit tells me I need to treat them like an unsaved person. Just like when you're coming to church and someone's over in the corner crying, you go, man, there's something wrong with them. Better stay away. That's the wrong judgment. <laughs> but you have to judge. What are they, What's going on? I need to find out. Why? Because I love them and I know what it feels like to hurt. And I wish somebody was there with me with my arm their arm around me. And you go over and serve them. Yeah, I, this, this no judging fruit thing is just its absolutely ridiculous. Because here's the deal. Just This is a a excursus. They also say, once saved, always saved. Amen and amen because we're saved by God, through God, and God keeps us. Amen. But that's not what they're saying. What they're saying is, once you've believed once, you're good forever. What about that person that didn't believe and, and says, I totally hate God and I disbelieve and I want nothing to do with God and I want to go to my homosexual boyfriend's house and have a new family and leave my family and because I hate God. What about that person? Here's their, well, he, he believes, so he's saved. Okay, you are judging his, by the way, I don't know that he's saved or unsaved. Why? I don't know the heart, but I can see what's happening and I treat them as saved or unsaved. They're saying, oh, they're saved, absolutely saved. How do you know that? If I can't judge fruit on on godly living, how can you judge the heart of salvation? How many are following this? It's craziness that's going on here. Evangelicalism has been taken over and we need to be careful. We need to stand up strong and make the text of the Word loudly proclaimed. Because sooner or later, we will not have a gospel anymore. If you're missing CE hour, I, I challenge you to be here because you're not going to believe what's going on in evangelicalism. I've been screaming this. They say, well, that's just your hobby horse. It's the gospel. What more could be greater importance? Mercy. All right. How many understand we're all gifted uniquely? We all need to be, and we're gifted within all these gifts a measure, right? Some more than others in certain areas, but we're all gifted. We're gifted not for ourselves, but for Him. And we serve others. We serve Him by serving others here, by loving them, caring for them, correcting them, even. Are we using the gift that is within us passionately, zealously, diligently, with the measure that God has given? I pray. I pray that we will if we aren't. And that will continue to grow. We need each other. We do. We need each other. That's the way God designed it. If not, the Tibetans have it right. In the mountain monks, right? They got it right, but they don't serve one another because you love the Lord and love others mr scott
1: lord we just we thank you again for the right teaching lord that we have a pastor lord and leadership who truly seek to Preach your word, Lord. Preach it rightly and exposit in a way that most in the world do not. Lord, as we go forth this week, please help us to be a blessing to others that we would use our gifts. I know I'm guilty of probably not serving others when I should, turning away and hoping somebody else will deal with issues. Lord, I just ask that we all would have the desire to serve, be it fellow Christians or our bosses at work, Lord, or fellow co-workers, that we can be a light to you, Lord, that we can show your gospels through our actions as well as speaking your your truths and sharing your word. Lord, we just we thank you for your word. We thank you for your love and your mercy. Just be with those who in our church, who do you need some healing, Lord? You with Pat, Lord, Mr. Braith, and all the others. Again, we just give you all glory in Jesus' name. Amen.